Welcome to the Better Everyday Coaching Podcast. Today we're talking about pulling, uh, and for this I'm joined by Connor Hogan. Hello, Hoagie. Hi, Ian. Thanks for having me back. I'm also joined by Leo Micklem. Hey, Leo. Hello again. Okay, so we'll jump in with, is pulling important? How important is pulling um, on your team? Like, how big a difference does pulling make? So we'll start here with Leo. So Leo, like, for the teams that you coach, how important do you think pulling is to the success? I think it's a pretty big kind of advantage that your team can have if you can pull well and chase well. Um, I don't know how I would necessarily quantify it as like a percentage uh, gain. Uh, I mean, obviously, like you can just break the disc and start playing from that point of view uh, every point if you wanted to. But having someone that can pull well and consistently put teams under pressure, um, I think that's where you make you make the difference uh, over the course of a of a game and, and, and of a tournament. So I put a, I put a lot of value on on the pull as as a as a core skill within the game. Hoagie, as a as a puller, I'm going to assume you're you're going to say that pulling is the most important part of the game, and the best puller should always be on the team and always be on the line. I might surprise you. So I think pulling is really, really helpful to be good at. But if you're not good at it, I mean, like if you're serviceable at it, but not elite, I don't think it's going to cut your legs out entirely for it to you. It's like having like all the forehands and backhands down, right? Like you can play you can play offense. Um, but if you can throw hammers around the place and scoobers and stuff, you can do different things on offense. So if you have elite pullers, you can do different things on defense. Very good to elite pullers, including like pull chasing makes defense much easier and opens up different avenues for you but if you're like acceptable to good you can still do a lot in defense um and if you're pulling is just straight up bad you'll find yourself doing a lot more thinking and have to do a lot more work on defense so um i don't think it's the most important thing but as leo kind of said like it gets you off to a pretty good start maybe it's a like one of those inherent biases because i can just remember primarily losing games because your team pulled really, really well. Um, I don't know if I've ever won a game because my team pulled brilliantly. Um, no, Hoagie, uh, definitely not. Um, I was thinking 2015, you... 2015 universe point against Czechs at Windmill. And I had like the best pull of the season, basically landed in the back end zone. We scored in like, they turned over in like three or four passes at the back of the end zone. But I think that's like pretty specific, maybe... We won that point, maybe not the game because of it. Well, it was the point to win the game, so I think you can call that the yeah. game-winning pull if you want. Um, okay. Pity was like second game at Windmill and not, you know, the an important game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So as I said I can I can definitely remember losing games because your team just put so much pressure on us pulling. But I think those games maybe are so exceptional that they might not be worth chasing unless you maybe have the natural talent who can do that once in a while. Because um, even, like, I'm thinking when Conor McHale pulled Clapham back into the famous game of Bologna, um, Elite Advice in 2022 when Randa went, what did we go, 9-3 up on Clapham and lost, conceding every other point after that, and primarily that was on the back of uh, Conor McHale's pulling, like, vicious blades pulling in a kind of a crosswind and just putting your offense in absolute coffin corner every single point. But I, he's capable of doing that, but he's not capable of doing that every single game. Um, no offense if you're, if you're listening. 
Well, let's move on then. So I wrote a post a while back about what I thought were the most important things about pulling, like making what makes a good pull in terms of like the like the hang time, the positioning and so on. Uh, but I was quite, quite heavy handed in my editing that I wanted to really like, pare down to the essence. So like, we can spend a few minutes thinking about maybe like what are all the sort of characteristics that make up good pulls, like different types of pull, different types of good pulls as well, because obviously it's not just always a case of throwing it as far and high as you can. So Hoagie, to start off with you, like what are the things that spring to mind when you're thinking of like, what is a great pull for you? In part, it's one that does what you want it to do, um, which sounds kind of funny. I mean, I'm, I'm after writing a shit ton of notes on, on pulling for, for this when maybe you're going to ask me different questions. But I think having a plan when you come to pull is actually really important. And that goes down to like, how do you want the disc to fly? Where do you want it to finish? Um, what does the team think you're going to be doing and how are they going to chase that differently? So if, if I'm going to try and put this to the back of the end zone versus I'm going to put this high end blade you so it sacrifices a little bit of distance, is the chase going to be affected? Like in, in theory, yeah, a little bit. Um, or if I decide to roll this out the side of the pitch around the brick mark again, Chase is going to do something different. So I think there's got to be like all those things kind of need to be made into a bit of a cocktail. And depending on the situation, depending on you know the wind, the circumstances of the game, what the other people on the line with the puller do, all of that kind of goes into making the recipe of what a good pull is. And Leo, what, what do you think if you're on the sidelines coaching, you're hoping for a good pull? And what are you visualizing that pull doing? I mean, this is maybe a little tongue in cheek, but you know, the best pull is one that the receiving team drops and gives you the disc immediately. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think to Hoagie's point, like having a plan is important. Uh, like if a team that I'm coaching pulls the disc out of the sideline, it's because I've told them that I want them to do that um, because we're trying to do a particular defense for that reason. Um, there's uh, there's one lad in particular uh, that I'm coaching at the moment that's convinced that he's the best puller in the club because he thinks he can throw it the furthest. It's just not the right way to think about it. From from my perspective, a pull that is in the air for a long time or is able to like roll out the back so that you have more time to get down there is kind of the most important metric because uh, you can then obviously put a team in in a difficult position uh, from from the outset. And then obviously if you're you know, sidelines are towards the back of the end zone. That's obviously beneficial as well. I'd say they're they're kind of the the key things that I'd be looking for. Something that just like flies fast and gives the opposition a chance to just center the disc and start their offense from the middle of the field as you know, effectively the same as a brick. Yeah, in the post I had, I guess that was my take as well. It's that like if your team isn't doesn't have a puller, you can pull better. So a team could only pull. Something that's either, oh, how do I phrase it? I think it was like if the offense can center the disc to the brick mark, that's worse than drawing a brick because they're essentially setting up a pull play but in motion where you don't have any time to read it um, or react on defense or coordinate on defense. Um, so those, if that's your team, you, you would be better off, I wouldn't say better off delivery trying to throw a brick, but definitely better off trying to run this throw as far as you can, as straight as you can, like trying to throw it as far as you can. And try and like almost skid it out the sideline, and like if it's bricked, then it's fine. Like it's better to be a brick than for the as I said to stroke in the middle of the pole. 
get centered and you're you're scrambling behind. Um Hoagie, would that be your advice to teams in that category as well? To which try and get a like to to skid out rather than Yeah, so right, what would your advice be to, to that team that like their best pulls are just gonna go straight down the pitch and just be centered to like at least a brick mark? Like how would you approach pulling? If you don't have someone who's good at pulling, I'd be asking you who's your best hooker and can they just stand still and just rip something? And does that give you something more workable than like a, a pull with a run up and all that kind of stuff? I think you're dead right. What we don't want is to have a team in motion running a pull play. So a good pull, kind of going back to the first question first, I'd be saying a good pull is one that doesn't really give the offense their first option. They're certainly not their first option in motion. In terms of then, what are we looking at? What are we looking at then if a team's just not good at pulling? I'm probably telling them roll something that probably ends up not in the middle third. Um, for me, like your ideal finishing position for a pull is deep down the middle of the pitch is where I should end. So whether it's flight, you know, crosses over sidelines or into other thirds, so long as it lands in the middle of the third and there's a good chase and there's decent hang time, I'm pretty happy with that. Because what we don't want is similar to, you know, what we're saying about being in momentum. We don't want the centering pass to actually be for the centering third. We want that first pass to be just like, get out of my hands because I don't want to get stuck with it with everyone in front of me and no reset options. Um, and we want it to be going out to one of the lateral thirds. Um, that way there's there's fewer angles to attack. So if we're if we're giving up if we're giving up on distance, definitely get it into one of the towards one of the sidelines. Cool. Um I you both mentioned like, the importance of aligning the pull to the to the pull chase, which I think is a really good point. Uh, and definitely one I didn't mention in the article. In terms of pull chasing, for the teams that you're on, like how intentionally has this been practiced and is there anything that you do strategically as pole chasers in order to try and get more of an advantage or is it just a case of run down the pitch as fast as you can and try and put a mark on as quick as you can um i'll start with you leo yeah i definitely have uh systems in place uh for for pole chases it's definitely a coordinated effort um i think that we have uh Different kind of strategies for different situations as to what we're trying to achieve on a on a given uh, on a given point. It's never just a case of run down as as fast as you can. Um, taking some ideas from uh, from some of your work as well, and and kind of adapted from there. Um, but uh, I think that if you don't have some sort of a system in place, it's very easy for if you just like similar to other sports if somebody gets disconnected from a from a defensive line it's very easy to counter that mo- mo- movement and motion and then get the disc somewhere else and you're kind of somebody just like gas themselves for effectively no reason hoagie but what the teams you've been on obviously apart from the team that leo coached because we just be repeating ourselves but the other teams you on have you done any like intentional pull chasing strategies or practices i don't necessarily remember them i would say like going back to the early days we played it was definitely like racy down there sort of thing and to be fair like i think it was irregular that we'd be like i won the race only for like our player to yeet themselves off deep so i don't think that happens as, as often as maybe it should for me i would be preaching something along the lines of the person who's catching the pull is the least 
is the least dangerous person on the pitch now because they can't score. So the seven of us need to now contain the other six players from scoring in, in this pass. Um, if you know that you're going to be marking people up front, so one of the handlers, um, I would be probably double double teaming if, if they're, say, playing a 2-5 a, a structure, for example. I would be double teaming the, the receiving person if we can get down fast enough to stop that first pass. And once we've contained that first pass, I'd then be going on and put on a force. I probably have priority then on the cutters, be sitting under to stop you know, the, the free underpass once you know, we've double teamed and not paid attention to the person on disc. I would then be, yeah, as I say, prioritizing under is with one person hanging off the back. And then once we've got that set and contained, we're, we're doing our best to stop them the first pass. Again, probably on the unders. But that's probably what I'd be preaching. We definitely don't want to be allowing the disc to get centered as well, um, should the disc be in one of the side side thirds. So priority of kind of going down maybe the middle channel and then finding out um, if you were the first first two people down towards the handlers. But I haven't actually given this ton of thought, I must say. I'm just kind of winging it. I bring it up because feel like I've wasted a lot of low-hanging fruit throughout my coaching career by not focusing on pole chasing because we like how an offense starts their possession is really important. How defense starts their possession is really important because if you once you've lost control it's really difficult to wrestle it back. So if you can try and assert some control immediately obviously like, having a good pull is important to that but having a good chase is a secondary there's no point having a good pull if there's no no follow up from the defense you just like yeah, what's the point of pulling the back of the end zone if again the offense can just center their disc anyway and kind of get comfortable and get off to the, get off to their offense? So I'm delighted, Leo, that you've been building on some of the stuff that we started. I think there's a lot to be done in the space of like how you strategize around full chasing and doing it more intentionally than kind of the basics. I, I mean, I guess the, the basic thing is get squeeze the squeeze the centering pass and have a deep sweeper, and that kind of takes care of most of the big threats. But the, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot more that you can do with a pull chase for sure. I'd say the team that I remembered probably doing it the best, or at least intentionally doing this from a training perspective, and somewhat maybe not surprising, but it was probably Clapham. And we spent a lot of we spent a couple of trainings, a lot of time I'd say, doing fence on pulls versus outside stack. So what would we do if we came up if we were chasing on the pull and we saw a side stack, what would we do? And there was there was a lot to be said for like how do we position ourselves on pitch. But then there was a lot of emphasis on like using our voice, identifying things, actually communicating on pitch. And that's probably one of the things that sets Clapham apart, I think, is how they communicate on pitch. Um, they're really, really good at it. They kind of just say what they see. They tell each other what to do and they just react and get it done. But I think the trainings, the trainings we did to stifle sides like off the pull, I think was probably the most intentional pull chasing practice I've had in a long time, if ever. And if I can dig into that a little bit more how did you practice it yeah so i think some of it might have been i, I mean i personally don't love a half field pull because normally people like eat it 40 yards up in the air and there's just no way of getting an offense moving in the slightest but i think it might have been some half field maybe some two-third field pulls um and as we chased down there was a lot of communications to say um i think tactically like we'd switch the force so even if we're going to force forehand but the stack was on say the pot would be the backhand side we switched the force to kind of squeeze the stack um or squeeze the cutters and in, into the break side if they're going to get something out we'd then have someone sweeping deep someone sweeping or sitting under um 
and the emphasis is really stopping the first phase and then putting a lot of pressure on the reset. Um, so yeah, I think it was it was just kind of normal five pull sort of thing. Um, and then we'd stop and assess after each each point how defensively we're doing we're doing things right or wrong. So would you play the full possession regardless, or would it just be a case of it stops like after a certain number of passes and you assess then if the defense kind of did their job or not, or the offense did their job well against it, I suppose, or do you would finish at the point? I think it was mixed bag. I think initially, I think we might have done this at a few sessions as well, where we had low numbers. So we definitely would have done five pull, and if the offense breaks out, they they're broken out and like fair play to them. But we're not going to play at the full breath. Um, we definitely had some full points as well, um, but there was a very intentional focus on on getting those uh, reps correct as well, though, and doing the right thing on defense rather than worrying about how we recover after we get broken broken at it. I'm oh, sorry, I'm going on tangent here, but very interested in the sort of mechanics of this. One thing I always like doing for that sort of practice is kind of giving the defense some visual aids in the form of cones. So like. If you're trying, like, with a side stack, obviously it's off on the w- one wing. You go, said you're going to switch force to it. So, was there any sort of visual aids in the form of like dividing the pitch into thirds and kind of being focused on like we want to contain the disc in a certain third, or was it just like a normal pitch setup, no, no, no markings? I think it was more normal pitch setup. I mean, unfortunately, this was six years ago. This yeah, that I played with them, so um, I can't remember all the details. But it, yeah, um, I think it was normal pitch setup there. Okay. Um, Leo, I know you don't want to tell us exactly what Ava do for their pull chasing, but similarly, I'd be interested in like how you go about practicing it because again, it's a tough thing to practice because obviously it's like the very static, obviously pulls are very static, start to take a while to organize, take a while to get everyone together, and then it's like one big sprint, um, which is exhausting for people obviously to, to do repeatedly. So yeah, I'm just interested in if you've come up with any sort of strategies to kind of effectively practice this. Yeah, so typically um, I'll have sort of a handful of more typically O-line players, get them practicing receiving pulls. And that's the other side of this that we haven't really chatted about yet, but how kind of important having a good pull receiver is. Um, so we're trying to work that at the same time. And then, uh, so typically I'll set it up in like a 4v4 sort of situation, um, sort of like a 80% field pole distance so people aren't having to run as far and then the reality is is that everybody who's not involved in the or that are receiving the pole uh are practicing the communication on their way down and so it's hard to get people like a lot of reps but you can learn by watching other people as well so you know we will run through you know however many reps uh of groups of four but then once everyone's kind of had to go through have a discuss what what worked well, what didn't go well, um, and then kind of speed up the the learning process so that like not everybody has to have done fifteen full pitch sprints to figure out how it works. Since you're doing it in fours, I'm assuming then that the priority for you is like stopping the stopping the handlers. Yeah, so so I think that like what Hoagie was saying as well is like if you can make the first or second pass more difficult then that's going to help stifle everything uh, downfield uh, without having to have like a bunch of extra people and extra factors. Um, you know, you don't want that kind of false positive or false negative of if somebody who's marking someone downfield messes up and gives away some free pass, 
we still want people to be like, oh, but we did a good job of our pull chase on the kind of handler set, which is what we were focusing on. Great. That was an interesting tangent that uh, I hadn't planned for. So thanks for taking me through that. Um, I'm just going to jump back to you for a second because I'm interested. Obviously, you're a very strong puller. Um, and Leo mentioned earlier that like, his idea of a puller isn't just throwing just as far as you can. But I think when a lot of people try to become better pullers, they just practice throwing the disc as far as they can. So like, what's your advice or what's your routine for kind of improving as a puller? So my routine is probably, so I'll, I'll throw a lot first. Pulling's the last thing I'll do in a, in a throwing session. So I'll probably have warmed up with really short little throws um, and then some proper like focused break mark stuff um, and then probably some hooking. And by then I'm pretty warm, but I think my first few pulls, I always have a like asterisk, asterisk over them, just kind of saying like, this is my first pull, it's not going to be my best pull. Or this pull is just a warm up for like my mechanics and my, my rotation, getting my arm fully, you know, back and all the way through. And then after that, depends how many discs we have, I kind of give myself a few numbers. So if we have, say, six discs, I'll say, cool, I'm going to throw two pretty IO two pretty OI and then I'll probably practice two spin pulls as well, which more often than not I throw IO unless we have a pretty aggressive I'm pretty self-critical in life slash all facets of, of Frisbee, but especially with my pulling, um after those first few there's kind of like less margin for error. Um I'll be marking out the general end zones on both ends. So I actually have a target and it's not just a case of just eat it down the pitch and have Emma grab it. It'll be, I want it to land in this space. Um, I mean, sometimes we record our pulls and I'm quite interested to see my hang time um, and how I basically calculate that will be from my, from my release. At what points do we think it's easily catchable? And if it's like easily catchable a few yards shy of the end zone, but then goes into the end zone, I've probably said, you know, if the hang time's not great as well, I'm probably saying, like, that's a centered pull up towards the break mark, like, that's not good enough. But, yeah, I guess I've taken a long time to to get here. I think, like, before this pod, Ian and I were chatting a little bit, I'd say for the first two, three years, I was just breaking everything. Um, like, I, I would I would practice a lot, and I just wouldn't get it right. So, um, so now, yeah, it's taken me a long time to get here. Leo, I used to always say early on in my coaching career that I, well, if say you say, I used to give out to people a lot for breaking pulls. And I think that was the general way people thought is like a brick pull is a complete waste of time. Like just make sure your pulls and bounds is the first priority. I feel like the thinking around that has shifted to being like, well, maybe you're better off having four like amazing pulls, six bricks out of a set of out of a set of ten, where at the four give you a really good chance for break and you can still make things work from a brick obviously, but ten average pulls probably doesn't really give you a chance um of doing anything um where are you on on that like are you frustrated when people are breaking pulls or are you thinking well that like they're trying to throw a great pull so that's okay i think my only frustration on bricks is where someone has say there's like a particular crosswind and they've thrown a pull from either one side of our end zone or the other and it's been a break and then the next point or their next opportunity to to throw the pull, they've done exactly the same thing and bricked it again. And so there hasn't been like an adjustment. I think that's the only kind of place where I would get any sort of frustration. 
um, as a team, we're very happy with people throwing bricks because we know that they're trying to throw the best pull that they can um, and trying to put the other team under pressure. And if someone, like say, someone you think is your strongest puller, like throws three bricks in a row, are you tempted to tell them, like, maybe just make sure the next one's in? Or are you tempted to change the puller? Or is it just you trust that they're just going to figure it out for themselves? I think the what I might say is just ask for something different. Um, so I think sometimes for people giving them a specific task rather than just an open-ended pull this as best you can uh, can make things a little bit easier because you're then yeah you've, you've got something to focus on you're like okay this is the the thing that I'm trying to achieve the decision has been made for me I just have to execute um, and then it's a little bit easier to kind of correct from there as well. Okay well, I'm interested in that from the player's perspective Hoagie I'm also thinking like I feel when I pulled that I always knew before I pulled if it was going to be a really good pull or not. Like sometimes a win would surprise you, like you put time too much edge or something. But like I feel like if I felt great, uh, I was really confident it was going to be a great pull. And if I felt kind of apprehensive about it, or it's like this one's going to be really uh, tough, I'm going to really have to try hard in this one, or really think about the angle, it generally went terribly. I wonder if like, do you get the same sort of feeling? I wouldn't say I get necessarily the same feeling. I definitely think a lot about what I want to do with the pull on the line. I think if I'm playing D-line for a, you know, a particular tournament or a game, I probably will have a feel for it later in the game for the important points. I'll know like what I want to, what I want to be throwing going each way. But if it's me crossing over from O to play D, then it might be one of my first tournament or pulls of the tournament. Um, and I'm probably thinking like, do I want to OI this? Do I want to IO it? um sort of thing so i think i'm i'm definitely a big overthinker sort of thing I, I i reckon like similar to similar to leo i would probably be a bit annoyed if someone was like repeatedly breaking stuff because it's kind of a missed opportunity to even mount a little bit of pressure um and i think like defense is very much so a war of attrition where like you can just chip away at someone for a whole game and you might only get a break at like 12 all but that's the one that decides the game so if your first few bricks are or if your first few pulls are breaks kind of fine if if then the, the game where we need to actually start building pressure you're breaking more i'm a bit like just get it in like i don't need your 100 percent. i actually need like your 85 and we can still do something with that if we chase and do something right off our defensive side for the first phase and yeah as, i think as a player and if someone doesn't give me something to chase and i'm feeling myself defensively then i'll be a little bit annoyed as well do you think it impacts the pull chase actually like if someone does break multiple in a row like are you really sprinting down as full or are you kind of half watching them being like oh that's actually going in i really should speed up now because uh i kind of expect them to break it again definitely the latter like if if someone if someone has like very passionately been like you're a hander mark so you're not pulling this one and i'll be like okay but you've bricked a few so you better fucking get it in um i'll be like 80 percent off the line maybe and then when i'm like okay cool then i can actually go but like I've, I've lost a step then, haven't I? Yeah, and this is why I keep going back and forth on the, like, do you go to maximize every pull or do you prioritize getting them in? Because like say, Ogi, there is momentum and trust to be built with the whole line. We've talked about how pulling's not just about necessarily the actual throw. It's about the coordination of the defense and really trying to stop the offense. And if you lose confidence in your ability to pull in a game, pretty devastating. I mean, maybe it's I just don't look up as brutally as that and maybe pull us kind of self-regulate and do stop pulling i know with the under 23 team in 2013 i'm thinking oh like that team did not self-regulate and start getting pulls in bounds 
they all you hit that disc as hard as they could every single time. Um, but that's a uh, that's the impulsiveness of youth, I guess. Yeah, I think I think the other thing too is like when you almost take yourself off pulling duty because you're not pulling well, and then the next person bricks as well, and you're like, fuck, I may as well have just gone for redemption. Like if someone else is gonna brick anyway, then like I may as well have just like try to, you know, repair my reputation as a good puller. <laughs> Definitely. Okay, I think wrap up a couple of quick questions. One thing I'm interested in, I thought about while you were describing your pulling hoagie, like you obviously will pull multiple different shapes. And again, I've been thinking more over the last few years, would it be more efficient or more effective from a team to basically have multiple pullers who each have a specialization in one shape? So you're a hoagie, you're not thinking about, I have to go and practice my big IO hanging pull and also my really fast blading pull or my roller pull like so trying to practice three things is obviously a lot more time investment trying to practice one leo like is that how you think about your pullers on your teams like do you think this puller is particularly good this sort of crosswind this puller is good no wind this puller is great i always thought i was a great downwind puller so i wasn't actually strong enough to pull like really far but i was just strong enough that like downwind i could basically pull like 90 percent effort and it would sit in the end zone, I was like, that, "That's my perfect situation." Pull into the wind, useless. Don't ask me. Um, crosswind, right to left. Do not ask me to pull. I'm just that's going out the left side of the pitch every single time. Um, so yeah, Leo, do you try organize your pulls like that, or is it just a case of like some people are just good at pulling in general, and you can kind of trust them to throw whatever shape you need them to throw? I think that there are players like similar to Hoagie who have gone out and they've like they have made themselves good at throwing multiple shapes um and then there are other pullers that are just like oh i feel good in these conditions and so sometimes i'll dictate who i want pulling um but in a lot of situations i'll leave it to the player that's feeling good like if somebody says i want to pull this that's usually a good sign uh if they're like i feel good about these conditions and then i i would back them to to do that and even if they do end up breaking it i still would give them my backing again uh, if they're feeling good about it and trust that they'll that they'll make those adjustments cool i know our boys are taking notes leo and like they'll take it as a personal insult if you ever take someone off pulling next season then after after you said how much you trust them all on this podcast um hoagie then like on similar lines if you are like advising someone who's just getting into pulling like a do you think they should really just focus on one shape and secondly i know i said hey and then secondly uh, and B, like, I guess the generic way to teach everyone is to throw the I.O. because you, you generally, most people can generate most power. But you think when we're advising people to start pulling, like you think you should basically just try and maximize whichever shape kind of comes naturally to you or you think everyone should start on that O.I. shape? I think if you can get it into your routine, if you can get it into... Like you're throwing form and it feels good, IO is better because it'll sit longer. It, it'll always want to flip up, especially if you're going upwind. It will always want to flip up to flat and then turn over to the right if you're right handed and left if you're left handed. But you should be able to have the disc sit for longer with an IO, um, upwind anyway. I have written a ton of notes as I said on this, and one of the things I did write was if you are really struggling to get distance and hang time with an IO, uh, or even just to get your disc come out long enough 
in the IO before they flip over, then lean into the OI 100% because we don't want you to be off balance. We don't want you to be sacrificing power and hang time and stuff like that to throw like a 30 meter pull because it's not even getting to the break. So if you can if you can get a good OI, then crack on. Like Ross Andrusetti, I think is a good example of that. Um, I'm not sure he ever really threw a ton of IOs when he was pulling, but Ross with a downfield, a downwind especially, OI pull could absolutely bang him. So yeah, I think I think yeah, OIs are absolutely fine. Um, I, I I don't know if this is like too broad a statement, and I'd be interesting interesting hear what you guys think, but. Do you think that female matching players, or my observation is that female matching players seem to struggle to get IO more than male matching players on their pulls? I don't know if it's something that either of you have observed. So it's hard to say, I think, that sort of thing in demographics because there's so many more male players. True, yeah. Um, so I think it's just natural you'll get more male matching players that kind of naturally do. I definitely know a lot of male matching players really struggle to get that shape as well. And I, I, just, I know, I, I feel like Particularly with the mix rule now as well, we're just trying to push so many more female match players into polling roles that maybe like naturally you wouldn't if it was the old polling rules or if they're on uh, women's team, maybe they wouldn't naturally be taking those roles because they don't, mm. don't maybe have that shape naturally. Uh, and that's where you struggle. Like I've definitely, when I've done polling sessions, like introductory polling sessions with like women's teams I've coached in the past, it's it, yeah, it's something I've noticed that a lot of them don't like naturally throw this quite flat to be honest rather than aggressively io leo i don't know if you've noticed like, with your experience with the mixed team anything similar i mean i think with the mixed team i was lucky to have three really great field matching pullers in Lutza, sinead and g um and then also we had uh robin fennig uh coaching with me and she's an exceptional puller and so she did quite a lot of work with kind of helping people with their pull technique and both kind of general documents, but also did a lot of like specific one-on-one help. So I kind of left it to the experts in in, in that kind of a sense, and uh, and I think we uh, yeah we profited from that. Okay, last question to quickly round up. So I just want you to give a shout out to the best puller that you've ever worked with, like played with or coached. I'll start while you have a think about it. My best, and this is going to come as a huge shock, everybody. Uh, Fiona, Fiona Myrna, uh, <laughs> women's he's our coach. I always wished that maybe that she'd had a better coach than me to help her out. Like someone like Hoagie who's taught a lot more about technique because I think Fiona's ceiling as a puller was super high. Um, and you can definitely think of many pulls she's had for, for women's teams in the past have just been outrageous, like mascara esque pulls basically. Uh, but she definitely struggled with consistency. Um, however, for the, the sheer power she could generate and the reliability, just being able to chuck this really, really far. I know we said that's not the be all end all, but we played a lot of windy, windy ultimate where it sometimes does come down to you just need someone to chuck the disc really far because otherwise you're you're giving away so many yards. Um, so yeah, Fiona's always been the go-to person um, on those teams. Um, Leo, come to you next. Difficult question. I feel like I've had quite a lot of very strong pullers. This year in particular, uh, I have seen the like benefit of the amount of disc golf that Cami Agnew and Andrew Dick play and the the shapes uh, that they're able to get on their holes because of that. And so I would say uh, that the two of them certainly are on a on a on a different level from that point of view from from most players that I've that I've had the opportunity to coach. Which one of two is better though? Uh 
Well, Leo, who's I, your best O-line puller out of those two? <laughs> <laughs> I won't put you on a spot, Leo. It's fine. It's fine. You can tell them in private. Hoagie, <laughs> uh, who's the best puller you've ever played with? Uh, I mean, there's, there's, uh, there's, no, I wasn't going to even say me. I, I like my pullers, but I think there's better pullers. Um, I think on the female matching side, because I've played a lot of mix, I think Leo's dead right that Sinead and Lotta I hadn't played with before. I played with Gia and Yushu, who's a good puller. Sinead and Lotta last year were really impressive. Uh, Fiona was on my list too, and Emer Stanton. And then since moving to the UK, um, I've recently had the privilege of getting to play with Bex Palmer, who's now over in Australia. She's been playing Australia mixed up at, uh, at work. And she could absolutely rip it. Um, I think on the male matching side, then Brian Henderson probably sticks out as a pretty good puller. Keen was a pretty good puller. Nyler is a pretty good puller. Um, so don't ask Hoagie to uh, be ruthless and say one person, one of each. Well, I'd say the best, the best I've probably, so the best puller I'd say on both sides, I'd probably go with Bex and I'd probably go with Mum, actually. Mum was oh, so the best good. I remember being in. UK College Nationals when Keen was playing for Warwick it must be my last year in Trinity or something mm. and seeing Mum like pull like he pulled something and I looked away because it was so obviously a brick and then like six seconds later I looked back and it was like slowly helixing back into the yeah. back corner like no way that's the most outrageous thing I've ever seen in my life who is this guy yeah Mum uh-huh. what an incredible thrower okay Hoagie Leo um, thanks so much for joining me and chatting about pulling I think that was really helpful and insightful and good to get some detail on like how teams have actually practiced that in the past um so yeah big thanks to that and if anyone wants to join in on the discourse you can join in on our discord and talk about pulling and if you've any other topics that you'd like us to talk about uh, you can message me on instagram at better everyday coaching or email me at better everyday coaching at gmail.com and we can add them to the shortlist thanks everyone